left, right. Oh boy, are we on a roll. Today we are talking about affirmative action. And it, as of today, it just got struck down in the Supreme Court. So we just want to keep tackling these difficult conversations to have. Let me know what you think about our conversation. And please weigh in your opinion in the comments. And as always, see you on the flip side. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Sip Talk episode 222. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosonator Boswell, philosopher, philanderer, philanthropist, a couple of other things I always forget. He's a very important guy with a lot of PH titles. James, how's it hanging down there in sunny South Carolina? Dude, it's been so hot this week. Uh, I believe it. Today is actually, and I completely forgot about this. Usually, when we get started, it's still sunny where you are. I see you still have some uh, some sun out there. Not the sun's probably not, not up, a lot, but uh, I see the window is not black on the on the other side. Yeah, of the it's going to be brighter where you are because you're farther north. Well, it is uh, the sun's still out over here. Um, so uh, we are live. We had a big day in the news today. They uh, basically overturned, and you're going to have to fill me in on the specifics of this. I haven't had too much time to do any research. I'm just really here to levy my opinion uh, and play the devil's advocate. Well, it wouldn't be sip talk if it weren't you and I talking about something that neither of us have properly researched. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's the beauty of it, is that we get to have a conversation about everything that everyone else is thinking, because most people aren't going to take the time to actually research this. And research, by the way, in the year 2023, means read half a dozen tweets, okay? Um, And probably not even read the comments underneath the tweets. Uh, That would be extensive research. Say hi to Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Um, Nice to have you here. Uh, hopefully, we don't piss anybody off today while we, oh, talk we about, while we talk about affirmative action, and that is today's topic. So, um, can you tell me the specifics of uh, what they overturned today? Well, and, and basically, what do, you, what do you know about affirmative action as it's as it's been up until now? Well, um, for the past sixty years or so. Um, the government has allowed effectively like it allowed institutions in this case colleges to use race as a as one of their deciding factors as to whether or not they will admit students with the purported goal of increasing diversity and opportunity for for more marginalized groups. Well, it's it's meant to be also inclusive rather than exclusive. You can't you can't say we're going to use race as a metric and we want all white people. That would be that would be yeah. Know, it would be use of, of affirmative action. And so the the critic basically, if you were to have two candidates for a college like for college admission, and let's just say that they have equal high school grades, equal SATs, etc and one is white and one is black, the college might choose the black candidate because that will increase their diversity on campus if the college is majority white. And it might even be that you could have a candidate that's on paper less qualified get in over a more qualified white student because the college values having diversity on the campus more than having everybody meet some baseline requirements. If they're if they're bringing in ten thousand students, and nine thousand and fifty of them are white with uh, a four high school GPA, and, and let's say fourteen hundred SAT, uh, and fourteen hundred SAT, and then uh, five hundred of them are 
black with a 4.0 GPA and a 1400 uh, SAT. But they don't want to have just a small percentage black. Maybe they want 20% black students. And we're using black and white just for the sake of the example. Now they want to have 20% of the student populace black. So what you're saying is that they might take people with a lesser than 4.0 GPA or a lesser than 1400. And that way, the round of candidates is not all equal, but you have more diversity at the school. That's the criticism of affirmative action. So yeah, the, the, the criticism of affirmative action, and, and in this particular case, um, the school in question was basically weighing Asian students less, as in they would take less Asian students of a similar qualification than other races and the Asian, like certain Asian students sued the school saying that they were being discriminated against because they had really good accolades and were not being admitted in favor of students with less favorable accolades. Yeah, so, so it, well, that's where it gets a little complex with the case that was being argued in the Supreme Court was that it wasn't white people saying, people of minorities with lesser uh, on paper scores are coming into my place. It was people of a minority saying that. So the argument saying that they were being discriminated against because they weren't being admitted. So the Asians might say like, Hey, we've got 1500 SATs. Yeah. And, and, and you're not letting us in. Uh, and, and that's, that's where the argument gets a little more complex. And, uh, and like the school would probably say like, if, because, like, especially, like, children of Southeast Asian descent, like, if you look at just the metrics, they tend to score the highest in standardized tests, the highest in SATs. They, they, they just tend to do well in school. Like, then this is a statistical thing. It's not a racist thing. It's you can just look you at the can, statistics. You can look at the numbers, yeah. <laughs> and so the school basically said, if we went purely by the numbers of scores, we would have too many Asians at the school and it wouldn't be diverse because it would be an entirely Asian school because all, all the top, like the, the majority of the top students in this country are Asian. It was a school's argument. And they, so we have to exclude some of these Asians, even though they're more than qualified to go here because we want to have a diverse campus. But I think by, uh, evidence shows that they were knocking off more Asian students uh, than they were white students of whatever mm -hmm. caliber. And, and, and that's, but, but again, it's, at times it feels to me very silly to be still having conversations about race. And at times it seems very relevant, but I, you know, I think for the most part where we are in the year 2023 is a very good place. And I think that most people would argue racially among and many other sectors not just race we're probably doing the best we've ever done okay uh you know whether you talk about uh, lgbtq rights or or women's rights or different minority rights uh, in most cases we're in a much better place as a country and throughout the world um but what we're it doesn't seeing, mean we don't have work to do it doesn't mean that we don't have work to do but what we see is and, and there hasn't been as much liberal backlash on this than I thought there would be. I actually listened to an NPR podcast on my drive home about this, and it seemed kind of right down the center. And NPR for the last five, six, seven years has been trending very liberal. So I was really surprised how kind of straight down the center the, the podcast episode was. Um, but uh, Two things. Yeah. First, I want to say hi to Lorena Satal. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Lorena. Um, and anybody that's listening, if you got opinions on this, pipe in. We'd love to hear some other thoughts on this. But to kind of guide this. Hold, hold, hold on on that. Uh, just so you guys on TikTok and Instagram know, we can't see your live comments. So if you want us to read your live comments, I see you guys like on Twitch, TikTok. YouTube. You got to go to Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, or Facebook. Search Justin DiGiulio or Sip Talk Podcast. And you'll find us live and you can comment and you can join us live. If you are not watching us live, you're watching us in post-production. Don't forget to uh, give us a thumbs up or a couple of stars. Uh, even if you give us one star out of five, we'd still be happy to know that you are watching. 
So we'll take what we can get. Um, don't do that. That was a joke. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. The first question, I, like, and these are like more philosophical questions about this, but like, first of all, what is the value of having a diverse campus? And two, if there is value in having a diverse campus, how should how should colleges go about achieving this that goal? Okay. And like, I want to. And one thought enters my mind, and this is a person whom I've lost a lot of respect for over the years, um, Malcolm Gladwell. But really, is, yeah. Um, he he's become like just this really kooky dude that has some terrible opinions about things. Like for example, and this was right at like the start or like, like the midst of COVID there was a writer for the New Yorker magazine that, you know, they're doing a remote call, like a zoom call to talk about articles or whatever else. So it's a professional work meeting. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the writers or one of the editors like starts masturbating on the call. Okay. And he got fired, okay. which shouldn't be surprising to anybody. Clearly. Malcolm Gladwell came out saying he shouldn't have been fired. <sighs> like yeah. defending this behavior. I don't want to get into that. I'm just going to say that like, that's one, one example why I've lost a lot of respect for Malcolm Gladwell. However, <clears throat> in his book Outliers, he talks about how like having a really high IQ like has diminishing returns and I'll give you an example and I'm going to make up some numbers here just to illustrate my point. But let's just say you want to go to law school, right? And to succeed at law school, you need to have an IQ of 120, right? Like if you don't have an IQ of 120 or higher, law school is going to be really hard for you just because the concepts that are being taught, you just need to have that IQ to be able to process, right? Like you might be able to do it with a 110 or a 115, but it's going to be really hard. It's, com it's comprehension ability. That's all. Mm -hmm. But so if you have someone that's an IQ of 120 and you have an IQ and you have somebody else that's an IQ of 140 and they're both in law school, like the person who has the IQ of 140 is not going to do markedly better than the other person, than the 120. So his point is that when you look at like affirmative action things where let's say You've got a school and you're admitting, again, let's say you're admitting white students that are 140 IQ and you want to bring in black students, you have affirmative action. And some of those black students might only have 120 IQ. He's like, they still do fine because as long as you're able to clear the hurdle, how high you jump over that hurdle doesn't matter. And it's usually not that, that different. Right, but I, I, again, I'm exaggerating numbers, but basically if you can think about it like a hurdles race, it doesn't matter if you jump two feet over the hurdle or three inches over the hurdle. If you clear the hurdle, you go on to the next. It's, it's, yeah, it's about it's about your mile time, not how high over the hurdle you jump. Um, so the, you, the two things you brought up, and there's one thing I wanted to mention also. You said the two things you wanted to note, what's the value of a diverse campus? And if we find it valuable, how do we go about getting there? So what I learned today is that the vast majority of public schools don't really use affirmative action. They, most of them just take everybody that they can get. It is generally the elite private universities that have so many applicants that apply. They can't take everyone and they have to whittle that number down. And yeah, you're talking about schools that have like a 5% admission. I mean, rate. effectively, if you have 10,000 uh, student positions open and you have 9,000 people apply, you just take them all. You're, you're not yeah. taking one person over This doesn't really matter for community colleges or state universities this where like the requirements are pretty low to get in and like the rejection rate's really low. But if you look at like Harvard, for example, I think they have, I think their acceptance rate is something like 5%. So, but yeah, we're talking about elite universities that have way more applicants than they do uh, positions open or, or seats open. How, how this plays out and, and the, the argument against affirmative action outside of this, uh, basically what was being argued in the Supreme Court, but the argument, the general populace is arguing against affirmative action saying, why should somebody who has higher marks than their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, minority counterpart not get in and their minority counterpart gets in just because that person's a minority? 
However, what you just said is pretty accurate. It's all, if, I mean, if they're accepting 5% of the total applicants, of that 5%, they are all greatly, uh, they all have super high SAT scores, 1,500, um, uh, and they all have uh, great high school GPAs, and they all, you know, they're not, they're not, they're part of different clubs and sports and organizations. They, these are all remarkable students. So at that level, bringing in a certain, number of people based on race is purely to diversify the campus. Now, I guess I want to talk about, first of all, let me just ask you, do you think that diversity on campus or diversity anywhere is important? To a degree, yes. I, 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 I definitely do. Okay, so I, I, I want to walk back another step and I want you to think about our high school. Okay. How diverse was our high school? So for, for those of you that don't know James and I on a personal level and haven't known us for the last 30 years, uh, we went to a very suburban, very rural leaning high school where the vast majority of the people in our suburban and rural area were white. And uh, on top of that, not that we didn't have people of minority, people who were minorities, but uh, the people who were minorities culturally uh, outwardly were, were very much white and just like the rest of us. So, you know, I'll give you an example. We all shopped at the same grocery stores and ate vastly the same food. Now, living in New York City, you go to a grocery store and you're seeing this a lot more now also, but you have grocery stores that are specific to uh, Mediterranean foods or specific to Asian foods and things like that. Where we came from, that didn't exist. Everybody yeah. at, at your base, they ate white bread and, and so was, our high school was not white. diverse at all. It was, I'd say that like, it was probably 90% white and like the 10% minorities were still like kind of like were, were more from like a white background than like you would find did, in a truly did, diverse. If you just if, if you take away race and ethnicity, we didn't have much cultural diversity at all. In our high school, absolutely not. So, no, when I went to college, accounting for race and, and ethnicity, that aside, there was no cultural diversity. It was my point. no. And then you went to college. So I went to college, and it was very much the same thing, where it was a very white campus with very little diversity. More diversity than our high school, but that's just more a function of large numbers, where the percentages were probably the same. But because it was a larger enrollment, there was enough like there was a critical mass of minority students that they could form their cultural you're, things. But, loca but locationally, geographically, you're... Oh, it's very white. The, the, well, no, the college that you went to was pretty similar location mm -hmm. to the high school that, that we If went. not whiter than our high school. So you're, but no, my point is you're, it, they were, they're in proximity, very close to each other. So your pool of, of people that you'd be pulling from immediately locally is basically the same group of people. Yeah, but anyways... What I'm saying is that when I moved to the South and when you moved to New York City, like I, I both of us, we both moved to the South the same time. Yeah, but you didn't spend anywhere near as much time here as I did. Um, you were still there. Is I got exposed to all sorts of people that I had never met before and been introduced to concepts that I had never been exposed to before. And I learned a lot from that. And by being around people with different backgrounds, and different cultural experiences, even if like I didn't agree with them, like understanding how these people work and understanding that these people exist in their experiences has made me a better person. So, but so you find that you've got a lot of value from exposure to diversity. And I remember being in your office when you ran your own office and your office was very diverse. Yeah, my, yeah, my office was incredibly diverse, but that was also located in, in Madden. And I, I agree with you from my perspective. Uh, and I think that anybody who has had a lot of exposure to diversity on a personal level would agree that they have vastly grown and benefited from it. Um, and that's and that's not just speaking from a white majority male person. That's from my uh, experience, having worked with a lot of people who uh, were very diverse, even the people who were minorities said, oh, it's great to be around lots of different cultures and ethnicities. Uh, because you learn a lot. So I think that anyone would agree that there is great value to be gained from exposure to diversity. So 
Well, right. I, I look at it like this because I think about your mm-hmm. office. Like, I don't think there was a single like group of people in your office that were a majority. It, your office was everybody was a minority because like, yeah, you had white people that were employed, but they were a minority in the office. Yeah, I, it's I, like when everyone's a minority, no one's a minority. My, my my real estate office was a great eclectic group of people from all over the world, and it was it was nothing that we did intentionally. It was really luck of the draw. I remember at times we had very few women that worked uh, in the brokerage, and I remember thinking like, "Damn, we need to find some women." It, it, you know, I don't want it to just be a, a boys' club and like a sweaty locker room uh, vibe. Uh, all the time, but we didn't necessarily work hard to hire women. It just kind of came around that we would hire more women. But I, I suppose that that is a benefit of of being in a midtown Manhattan office. Yeah, but I remember like the times that I spent in your office. That was one thing that I really liked about it is all the different kinds of people that you had working there. Most of the people that did work there, the vast majority of them, and I'm sure some would disagree. Uh, but the vast majority of people that work there probably would say that's their favorite place they've ever worked. Uh, so I think that I think your first question, what's the value of a diverse campus? Uh, I think it's a very high value. And it's difficult to explain until you've experienced it. But it's, it's, it's a, I guess the reason why I'm asking this is to establish should having a diverse campus be a worthwhile goal? And my answer is yes. Okay. But bear in mind, and this is me playing the devil's advocate a little bit, the purpose of an educational institution is education. And 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 you could you could play devil's advocate back on me and say uh, experience with diversity is education. That 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 would be my answer is like, <laughs> uh, education is not just going to biology class and and, and and learning about that crap. It's also learning how to function in the world and the world is diverse. And if you're not exposed to diversity in school, then you're lacking a core, a core part of your education. Okay. So then the question is, so if, if you and I can agree that diversity is, is, uh, is valuable. And again, anybody who's listening to us is like, Oh, that's fucked up. It's two guys talking about it. Well, you know what? I can't, uh, I can, I suppose, but I'm not going to change my gender identity uh, for the sake of having a conversation. But I think the fact that we're having a conversation about something that should be talked about uh, is is of greater value. So excuse the shit out of us for the fact that we are who we are. Just don't fall. I told you the privilege, don't the, fall the privilege story, um, uh, a, a, a classroom experiment. Have I told you this one? Was this from the '60s about blue eyes and brown eyes? No, no, no. This okay. is this is much simpler. Okay. Um, this was told to me by my roommate, um, and so the the teacher says, "All right, we're gonna do a quick uh, we're gonna do a quick lesson. Um, I want everyone to take out a piece of paper from from their binders, and I want you to ball it up." And the teacher puts the trash can that's normally behind her desk. Mm-hmm. She puts it on top of her desk. She says, I want you to ball up one piece of paper from from your binders, and you have to stay in your seats, and I want everyone to throw that piece of paper into my trash can. <sighs> you, you have told me this one, actually. Sorry, go ahead. And so the students that are sitting in the front row, almost, and she says, everyone who makes it on their first try gets an A, and everybody who misses gets a C. And the students that are in the front row, most of them make it. And then the farther you go back in the classroom, less and less students make it. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so the students in the back of the classroom, like, how is it fair? The people in the front row got an easy shot and I had to make it from like 25 feet. She says, all right, let's talk about privilege. Okay. And how does this relate back to privilege today if when you're sitting in the front row and you say the, the, the assignment's the same for everybody make the shot my question to uh, you is, is in application in reality when it comes to college admissions who's in the front row most of the time white students and Asians um, 
that the, the system in the United States is still built to benefit white people. But, but again, I think it's super important that we drive the point home that seats aren't being taken from white students who are more highly qualified and given to minority students, okay? You have a pool of equally qualified students and they try to include diversity in the school. But this is only for a small fraction of universities. The vast majority of public universities do not have this issue. No, but for, yeah, for the elite schools, and the thing is where people take issue is when schools would use race as a criteria as to whether or not they would admit somebody. And it would be either to favor a underrepresented group or to disfavor an overrepresented group. Let me ask you this, and maybe I'm getting way getting ahead of myself in, in this conversation way too quickly, but we've just agreed that diversity in school is a positive thing. Um, when and and I, I said when we started this podcast off, like I'm I'm really in most cases very sick of talking about race. Luckily, you and I haven't had it hasn't come up very much on this podcast for the last few months. Maybe not even much in 2023, but. I feel like, not that we should ignore race, but I don't think we need to racialize everything. And I, I'm, so my question to you, and, and it's nice not to have talked about race for a while. My question to you is when do we get to the point where we're not breaking people down by race? Where, where everything you wanna do, you're not having to check off your race on so that it can be accounted for. I don't know. Um, like, I mean, now I feel like if you sign up for some some sale at a website, they want to know your races. And, and, and to me, it's just like, I just want to buy some fucking shoes, man. Why do I have to tell you my age, my race, my income level? Like, what do you need all this information for? Just fucking let me buy the shoes. Well, like, yeah. It, it, seems like it, it seems like it's everywhere. How, when, when, and, like, we, and we just agreed that, that having a diversity component well, is important. I'm going to answer your question with by saying... Never, because like race and cultural heritage and cultural experience are, are so kind of entwined that until the world becomes completely homogenous, then considerations about race and cultural and socioeconomic backgrounds and stuff like that are always going to play a role. I, I wanted, we just got two great comments from uh, uh, Liz Ninebeth, three. Uh, a Liz nine. Just, it's Elizabeth. Okay. And then Creatures. Creatures 104. So Creatures said, well, because Asians are the one who are really interested to learn my opinion. So what she's saying is that Asian people, uh, they're, they want to learn. Okay. The, the, the and there's some aspect of truth to that, that the, like in, in certain Asian cultures, Success in education in school is very is highly valued and highly pressured by parents. In in my experience, most minorities who end up at the university level are very highly interested in being there to learn, whereas a lot of the white students are just there to party and just doing it because because their parents told them to go to college. Uh, but the next comment is uh, what Elizabeth said. She agreed with uh, creatures and said Latin people too. Uh, we just don't have the same rights as a white person. So I want to dig into that comment, Elizabeth, and I'd like you to explain to me what rights as a Latin person you are lacking that a white person has. Because well, my guess is it's not so much lack of rights, but it's differential treatment. Well, and, okay, and that's that's kind of where I was going with that. But again, let's let's and I'll give Elizabeth a chance to answer that. Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what rights. We just don't have the same rights as a white person. So my question to you would be, what rights are you lacking? Um, and then, James, you know, you and I can talk about difference in treatment. Um, but and I, I want to stick back to affirmative action. I don't want to stray too much from from that point. Um, so Jessica says, it's true. I went to the part, the forever college student, the, the party forever college student. So yeah, like I, I remember in my college experience, like very few of the minority students, like 
partied. Weren't showing up to class because they had partied too hard the night before. I'm not saying they didn't party. I partied with some of them and they were great. <laughs> but like the one, the, the people that I knew who failed out of school because they were partying too much and not doing their work and not showing up to classes, all of them were white. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was getting at. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I will say, and Elizabeth, we are still waiting on your answer. What, what, rights uh does someone who's latin uh, she said white person gets treated better than other races that's differential uh, treatment which i would agree with um but i'd like i'd like to cite some specific examples really okay uh fuck i totally lost my train of thought but before that but uh bring me back home <laughs> james well the the whole the whole diversity thing, like we're, we're really stuck on the second part of my question, which is how do we, how do we include diversity? How do you achieve diversity on campus without excluding or taking away the rights of other people? And that's, that's where things get sticky because well, you could say like, like the Asian students who brought this lawsuit to the Supreme court, you could say we're better qualified than some of the people that you're choosing to let in. say that one more time the asian students effectively their argument was we are better qualified than some of the students that you let in over us so but that but that goes to how high over the hurdle do you need to jump right and and we we both agreed that as long as you're clearing the hurdle you're, you're going to be able to to compete in the race uh, you know, it's it's not necessary. And again, when we when we create an entry based off only these certain metrics, SAT scores and uh, high school GPA and uh, high school athletics and the number of clubs that you were in high school, whatever it is. And that's what Harvard was doing. They were doing a personality score effectively. Right. Do you, are you familiar with this? Mm -hmm. Uh, <clears throat> all right, we're getting. We'll, we'll have a, a short specific. We'll have an, a specific example from Elizabeth shortly. Uh, and Kreitcha says you are correct. Education in Asia is really important, and to be proud of that, they graduate with career, and can be competitive in terms of career-wise, aiming to be more successful. Uh, well, you can see it when when you look at like. The, like the state exams that they hold they hold in like China or something like that um, like one state exam basically determines your entire future and so students like students go so hard on studying for this one exam because that's going to determine the school that you go to next and the school that you go to next determines your career and therefore your earning potential Um, I, what her comment, I think Creatures is a woman. I, you have to correct us. I, I don't know, um, based off your, your screen name alone. Uh, what, what her comment made me think of was what we call minority mindset. And the minority mindset is the mindset of most people who are minorities, who tend to work harder, save more. Uh, I think if you know a lot of people from minority families, most of the people live at home until they basically get married and, and, and move out. Uh, but they live at home a lot longer and save money and work harder. And you don't see that so much on the white side of things. Would you agree with me there? Am I, am I, am I that far off any mark? No. And that's part of the whole privilege thing where like, it has to do somewhat with generational wealth where minorities through a variety of reasons, but one of them is kind of systemic racism in, in, in this country have had a harder time historically being able to generate generational wealth. And you can look at, for example, like um, the fair housing administration at redlining in the forties and fifties, basically making it impossible for black people to buy homes. And so you had an entire generation of black people that couldn't buy homes or couldn't buy homes in decent areas because of the FHA policies at the time. And therefore weren't able to 
create this general generational wealth through holding property, which is the number one way wealth has been built in this country. For for the vast majority of people, generational wealth is tied to home ownership and land ownership. Um, and that's the way that wealth most often passes down from generation to generation. Now, at the at the super rich level, when people have massive stock portfolios and stuff, that that doesn't apply. But for the vast majority of people, yeah, it's real estate that that holds generational wealth. And so, when you have an entire an entire race effectively being denied the main avenue towards generational wealth, well, that effect carries on for a long time. Well, I mean, especially if you're ultra wealthy, I don't. I don't think anybody's arguing uh, against that. No, but what I'm talking about is like poor white people and poor black people in the 40s or 50s. The poor white people had a much better shot of escaping poverty, but poverty than poor black people did because the system was designed to help the white people. Well, yeah, in in that moment, <clears throat> um, right. But the thing is, even if it only lasted for a couple of years, like wealth accrues and so if you can get just a little bit of wealth you can build on that much more easily than having nothing yeah i'm not disagreeing with you i think uh to, to uh actually we got <clears throat> we got elizabeth's comment here if a white person attacks a latino it's self-defense if a latino assaults a white person it's called assault uh, white always wins well that is my experience as a latin person um, and then Barbara says, hello, hello, Barbara. Uh, I think black people would echo a similar experience where if a white person attacks a black person, it's self-defense. If a black person attacks a white person, it's assault. And you can see this in like, like about three months ago, there was in, a, in the span of a week, there were a whole bunch of headlines about like weird shootings. And one of them was like a black kid was knocking at a guy's door because he was he got the wrong address to try and like, he was picking up his younger brother and he had the wrong address and knocked on the wrong door. And this old dude just shoots him. And all he was doing was knocking on a door because he was looking for his younger brother. And it was an old white dude shooting a young black dude. And initially it was ruled self-defense until there was enough community outrage and backlash that the police finally arrested the guy. But that shit doesn't go the other way. If a white dude knocks on a black guy's house and the black guy shoots him, that black guy's being arrested immediately. The old white dude walked free for like three or four days before he was finally arrested. Yeah, there's, there's there are, unfortunately, that that does happen. Um, I'm not, I can't really argue uh, with Elizabeth's comment. That's um, because it's correct. Yeah, well, I mean, the vast majority, the vast majority of the time. Um, you can find I, exceptions to anything. Well, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm. My what my brain is doing is it's spinning away to relate this back to affirmative action and uh, acceptance to college. Well, the, <laughs> the whole idea is, like, if you go to a good school, that's setting you up for a potentially highly successful career <clears throat> and allowing you to start building generational wealth. And so, by affording this opportunity to people that had previously been denied it is kind of an attempt at writing a historical wrong. Let me ask you this. So the, the question we're struggling over is how do we go about including more diversity in a campus? And again, we're, we're only really talking about elite level schools, okay? Just to, just to repeat, we're talking about elite level schools where there's a very low acceptance rate. Uh, and just because the way by definition, the word majority versus minority works. There's a lot more white students who are applying to that school. So I've got two ideas, and these are not particularly original. Okay. But the first is for these schools, and now this one is never going to happen, but it should. And that's for schools to stop with legacy admissions. Uh that's that's where I was going to go next. Actually, that's, that's what I was using to pivot to that. Um, let's talk about legacy <laughs> admissions. In, in well, I remember when we were in tenth grade, the guidance counselors brought me and like four other students in to talk about college, and they were and the guidance counselors asked, "So, guys, let me ask you: like, you all want to go to college? Yeah. 
okay, what do you think the most important criteria is if you want to get admitted to your like to your school of choice? And I just said alumni donations. <laughs> <laughs> what did the guy Kessler say? No, 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 no. It's not that. I was like, yeah, it is. Because <laughs> that wasn't the answer they wanted to hear. It was, no, you know, <laughs> good in school and all that other bullshit. No, it's fucking alumni donations. So, so the legacy students, which basically means if you had a parent that went to, and again, we're talking about, we're not talking about community college and state universities. We're talking about elite level schools. Uh, kids whose parents went to that university are much more likely to be accepted to the university. Especially uh, if the parent donated a lot of money. My next <laughs> sentence, exactly. Uh, and then guys, we will get to your comments. I promise you. We, we uh, I see your comments coming in. We'll, we'll get there shortly. Um, how do you, how do you contend with, with legacy students? Because I, I do think that there should be a certain weight assigned to, to a legacy applicant. I just don't know if it should be that great of a weight. And I mean, I, I'm not even going to address it because the pragmatist in me says like legacy admissions are more likely to donate because donating is what got them in. So they're more likely to donate so that their kids can go schools. There's too much of an economic incentive on the school's part to keep legacy donations going, uh, legacy admissions going that as much as I would like to see them. end, I, I just know deep down they aren't going away. So, but, but should they, they should, but they're not going to. But, but I mean, just kind of intrinsically and in kind of open market and, and you know, schools need people to donate money to them. Yeah, uh, but I mean, who's to not, say that like that much, non-legacy but. admission students aren't going to donate as well? I don't know. Well, you but I do know that, that the school knows that it's a surefire thing. Yeah, but you just gave a reason as to why legacy students are going to donate more money. Schools are naturally risk averse. They would rather take the legacy student that they know is guaranteed to be donating in the future versus a non-legacy student who is likely but not guaranteed well, to donate. School, schools are businesses as well, right? You know, they have to make money because they because they spend a lot of money um, and they hire a lot of people. They have a lot of people that they pay salaries for. Uh, you know, so schools do have to make a lot of money. I think. Uh, you know, we're not. I don't think we have the time today to get into endowments and 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 no, but like that. The, the two solutions I have, one of them I recognize isn't going to happen. The other one, in terms of how do you achieve a diverse campus without when you're no longer allowed to select for race, is you need to start selecting for socioeconomic background. That's where we need to take this next. Let's let's take a break and visit some of these comments. Yeah, I'll hit the ones in the right column here through YouTube. Uh, Jessica said, uh, "Lisa saw the story." Jessica said, "This is like the '70s show." Uh, you have to elaborate on that. Uh, and then on the Instagram chat, which is being fed to us, uh, how about Asian attacked by a black man or black woman? Uh, how would you call it? Uh, and then Josh Elstein says, if a white person steals from a store, he is going to jail. If a colored person uh, steals, they won't even get arrested. And he put in parentheses in California. Um, that's, that's also very much the case in, uh, in New York City. I almost took a picture this morning to use on this morning's podcast, but there was a, there was a bum. We don't use this term anymore. I don't know why. But there was a bum sitting on the sidewalk outside of Macy's with some tattered sweatpants on and nothing, nothing else. So no shoes, no shirt. And he was smoking uh, what looked like a three-quarter cigarette that had been stepped out on the, on the ground. Um, and the guy was a pretty smelly dude. I could smell him half a block away. And there was two police officers just kind of rational, trying to rationalize with him. Like, hey, buddy, like maybe you step out, you know, stand up and maybe not sit on the front steps of, of Macy's because you're like, it's not a good look. Uh, I don't know what happened because I didn't stick around, but I do see this happen all the time. And the police, for the vast majority of the time, don't don't touch these people whatsoever. Well, think about it from the perspective of a police officer. Sure. Do you want to be dealing with this shit today? No, um, but but I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying they're like, understand the motivation here. 
uh, I agree. The police don't want to deal with it. The you know, had I t taken out my camera and taken a picture or taken a video, the police would have been like, "What the fuck? Like, what? Now we got to be extra, even more extra careful." Um, but this was a, a mentally ill person, probably, uh, or someone on drugs. Uh, obviously, someone who's who's homeless. Uh, but it was a bad look, and the police aren't able to do much about that. And even if they do, the person goes into jail for the day, goes through the system, and comes back out the next day. It's not going to show up to their court case. Like It just is what it is. Um, and so, I mean, in, in that respect, and I think maybe this is what Josh is getting at, in that respect, minorities have maybe some more rights. Uh, what we've been seeing a lot happen in New York City, and especially in California, are people that just go into stores with uh, duffel bags and fill them up with products and goods and just run out of the store and the security guard like is not laying a hand on, the, on those people and the police aren't pursuing it because it's a tough crime to pursue and we're seeing that happen a lot uh, a lot of a lot of drug stores i noticed in midtown were shutting down um you know after trying a number of loss prevention uh, tactics like you know, putting uh, guards over all the deodorants and the, the toothbrushes and things like that. Uh, but there's a lot of theft that, that happens in those stores. Uh, am I missing anything comments-wise? we got two new ones. Okay. So uh, Josh says, what's the issue with donations and privilege associated? Uh, the issue is that you'll have some students that only get in because their parents gave a million dollars for to the university and like if you've met these people the, the the students that got in as legacy they don't take school seriously and like some of them do but like oh, some of them know that they got in because their parents paid a lot of money and know that they'll get through because their parents paid a lot of money because the implicit agreement with their parents paying the school a lot of money is so that their kid can get through the school and get the diploma and like if that kid starts to fail out or whatever, then the parents are going to call into the administration and be like, why is my son failing? And why am I donating so much money to your school if he's not going to pass? And the school, and this is where schools need to have integrity and sometimes they don't, but the school might tell the professors like, Hey, just pass this kid. Give him a C. Yeah. But I think again, that's, you know, that goes to the, you know, to the person who didn't earn it. Um, and so, but you've got, you might have minority students that would value being at the school and actually show up to class and do the work and get something out of it and, and really make the most of the opportunity that that school affords. Whereas the legacy students might, the argument goes that legacy students won't appreciate the school the same way a minority student would. Yeah. So yeah. that's the argument. I'm not sure I 100% buy it. But that's how it goes. No, but I, th I think there's, I think there's something to, I think there's something to that. Uh, and then also uh, the sports recruiting and scholarships given for sports, um, which we, which we haven't talked about. You have thoughts on that? Well, for one, depending on the sport, but like the, the two sports that make colleges the most money, and it's not even close, are basketball and football. Yeah. And if you look at the racial makeup of basketball players and football players in college, in, in colleges, it's actually majority minority students and predominantly black students. And so the issue there is you can look at, and like North Carolina has been really bad about this in terms of like the, the, the students that are in the basketball program or the football program, like basically get to take classes that nobody else takes where all they have to do is show up and they get an A. Mm -hmm. And so at some of the elite athletic institutions or like it, uh, institutions that are known for having an elite pro program in either basketball or football, that there's a perception that a lot of the members of the, the football team or the basketball team aren't taking the same kinds of classes as everybody else. Now there that's there are certainly exceptions because there are some like um there's some like minority students on the football team that have like a four row GPA in like quantum physics or something like that. So there's certainly students on the on on these teams that do extremely well academically, but then there's other other classes that some of them are taking where mm -hmm. like 
they basically like they have a teacher's assistant we, do all the work for them because they just need to pat like because the NCAA requires that they take they classes. Passing, they need passing grades and they have to take classes. We talked about this in our Olympics episode when we talked about suicide rates in the Olympics. That if you're going to be excellent at something, that you're probably making some sacrifices in your life. And if you are going to be an excellent athlete, then you're making sacrifices because you're spending so much time and energy and mental energy on the sport. Uh, now, when you're spending time, it's taking away from your studies. When you're spending mental energy, uh, it's taking mental energy away from your studies. So your studies are likely to suffer a little bit uh, or a lot of bit. Well, and I know that like, it, like when I was at, in school, like I was in classes with some, some players on the basketball team. And I know, and, uh, and now I'm not saying this is wrong, but like when the basketball team had an away game on the other side of the country or something, the basketball player would go to the restroom like, hey, I'm not going to be in class for the day that you're giving this test. And then they would coordinate with the teacher and they would get extensions on assignments or extensions to take the test. And so there are certain necessary accommodations that need to be made because the, the demands on these kids' time are, are so high that, and so- but, but also, you know, bear in mind though, that a lot of professional athletes become professional athletes, not from high school, okay? They don't, they don't at, at 18 years old, go into the NFL. Uh, they they go in through college. Well, yeah, college, like basketball uh, and football. How do like there are some in, in both of those coming. leagues actually have rules that you must have played at least one season in college or at least be old enough that you would like you can't just go straight from high school to the NBA or the NFL. But, but like, it's point, just not allowed. Like the, the leagues won't draft you. My point is that college isn't solely for academics. Some people go into a college because they want to be. Uh, nuclear engineers, and they need to have that education. Some people go to college because they are great football players or otherwise great athletes, and and that's their goal. So they have a baseline. But for Harvard to not say that we want to have some great rowers because they're not great at quantum physics, you know that that just wouldn't make sense. Well, so it depends because like. If you look at a school like Yale or Harvard and you look at their basketball team or their football team, like all of the students that are on the Yale football team, all of those students are actually doing really well academically, which is why Yale never competes for a national title. (laughs) That's my point. That's why why I went with rowing, by the way. Uh, (laughs) It's actually the same for rowing or anything else. It's like at, at like the Ivy League schools, they're not admitting students that can't do high academic work along with high athletic work. But, it's again, because they have, but again, they're turning away 95% of the people that apply for the school. Right. So, so they, you know, they have this, this pool of people that they can choose from who are effectively the elite. Uh, so let me throw, throw this idea by you because we got about seven minutes left. Uh, how do we, so we, you and I can agree that diversity uh, is a value. And I think most people would agree with us. Uh, the question we ran into is how do we go about including diversity in a college campus, in college admissions? What metrics can we bring people in on uh, where we're not, we're turning a blind eye to race, but we're still accounting for it? So in the wake of this latest Supreme Court decision, there were two exceptions that were carved out in the majority opinion. The first was that basically all military academies are exempt from that. That's not the one I'm interested in. But the, the exemption that is interesting is that schools can weigh mentions of race in the college application essay. So if the college application essay, like, I don't know, let's say there's 10 different topics that you can choose from. And one of them somehow mentions race and like the topic of like discuss like an experience with racism in your past or something like that. Like if the student chooses to write that essay. And the college reads that essay and says, okay, they talked about their race. Like they, you can use race when it's discussed in a college essay as a admission criteria. So that's one potential out. Okay. But that still doesn't really, how do we, how do we end up with a diverse student populace if the vast majority of students applying are majority white students 
uh, and in some cases, majority Asian students. Um, how do you how do you end up with a diverse pool of students in that school? Well, the the whole socioeconomic thing, where you could on the college application, you're going to see generally you're going to be able to figure like uh, if they're applying for student aid, you'll be able to see it straight away, like what the family income is. So okay, but you're but now you're but now you're effectively just saying that that minorities don't have as much money, and. Well, the statistics say that that's actually true. Okay, sure. But that sounds like another measure of race and also a very racist measure of race. If it, We're going to let people who are poor in because we know that uh, minorities have less money. To me, to me, sounds almost more of a racial approach, uh, a racist racial approach. Uh, now again, uh, there could be correlatory evidence and statistics. Well, it's it's again, it's a it's a it's a correlation, not causation. It's not because you are a minority, you will be poor. It's if you are poor, you're more likely to be a main minority. Okay, um, but I don't think that necessarily is going to account for directly account for diversity on a college campus. So I still think we need a better. Metric. You know, you know what I'm thinking, actually? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we already did an AI episode. I feel like if we waited a couple of years and just plugged this into a, a chat GPT like AI, we would get a very clear answer on this one. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want our AI overlords making any decisions for us. I don't trust uh, we, get, we, get, we get like three minutes left. but That's but, my roommate's biggest fear, actually, is like the robot apocalypse. Whether he watched The Matrix or Terminator too many times. We cannot end on AI will solve this problem for us. We may no, not that's a terrible answer. We may not be able to solve it by the end of this podcast, but we cannot end on the note. AI will solve this, this problem for us. Um, ah, man. What, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out. This is a complex issue. Uh, I don't necessarily think affirmative action was the best solution. It carried us for many decades, roughly 60 years, um, and it got us in a better place. And I do think that striking down affirmative action is a <laughs> I was just... oh, God. Um, is a uh, is a, a bat is a slight step backwards. Um, but does it open the door for a better approach? But but and that's that, the way you have to look at and it. And that's what the Supreme Court, I think, is saying. You know, this isn't a great this isn't a great rule that we have. Affirmative action isn't a great rule. So so here's your opportunity to redo it. And I talk all the time, maybe not so much in this podcast, maybe so, uh, about how we just keep making laws. We don't take any of the old bad laws away. So if we have a not so great law, taking it away might be a good setup for us to have newer uh, newer laws that are kind of more with the times. Am I missing, uh, am I missing something? I see some comments coming through. Uh, we got two minutes left here. I don't know. Like It's... I think about um, if you're a concert musician, like a concert violinist or something, right? And you want to join an orchestra, like, you know how they do the auditions for those? Blindly? Yeah, like where you're behind a screen. Yeah. And so they can't see anything. They might be able to see your silhouette, if that. And they'll just say, play this segment of this piece and you play and they decide whether they like you like the way you're playing or not and they don't know if you're male or female they don't know anything about you all well, they hear is you playing the instrument and responding to their to, to like their demands but that's but that's not a great answer because then you still end up with with a vastly more white student populace and um and I don't think that's the best answer. I don't necessarily think I have an answer on this one just yet, but I'm glad we had this conversation. Again, this is this is a platform for us to articulate our thoughts on difficult topics and and to share them with people who are willing to listen. Um, real quick, I want to hit this comment. Um, Josh says, are we saying it's not fair getting the education or getting the name on a degree that's more important? And I would say it's both. Because, like, you can get a decent education at a lot of schools, but getting a, and you can probably get a slightly better education at Harvard than you can at, like, 
like a, a good private school that's not Ivy League, but having a degree from like Harvard or Yale or MIT or something, when people see that on a resume, they're like, oh, you're a Harvard grad. Like the fact that you made it into Harvard is we, we didn't we didn't even go there. What what one of the and again we're basically only talking about elite schools. What what that buys you in the rest of your life? We're out of time though, so we got to wrap up. Don't forget to subscribe to Sip Talk on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else there are audio podcasts, and on YouTube so you can watch our video. Thank you guys for joining, both of you and uh, James. See you later. Letters. Adios. All right, this is a flip side. Thank you for making it so far. I appreciate you being here. And if you have not, I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.